it's not to have a theoretical knowledge it's not to have a training in history or in economics or in law it's basically somehow of a of a, uh, of a gift of a smell to understand the nature of the present he said to under, to have political judgment is to understand the unique characteristics of the present I'm uh, Dane Borges, director of the Center for Latin American Studies, and on behalf of the Center and the Global Voices Program of International Ho House, our host here on the University of Chicago campus, I'm delighted to welcome you to one of our Latin American briefing series on current issues in, uh, in Latin America. Our speaker tonight is Licenciado Jesus Silva Herzog. He's professor of law at the Instituto Tecnológico Autónomo de uh, México, ITAM, and he's a graduate in both political science and law from Columbia University. His books include El Antiguo Régimen y la Transición en México, The Old Regime and the Transition in Mexico, the democratic transition that is, Las Esperas de la Democracia. Uh, he's a political, The Spheres of Democracy is the title of that second book. He's a political commentator, an editorialist for the newspaper Reforma, and a member of the editorial board of the political magazine or the mag journal of ideas, Nexus. Licenciado uh, Silva Herzog was recently Comexi scholar at the Mexico Institute of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars uh, this earlier this year, pursuing a research project on the democratic problem in Mexico. He's currently researching the changing role of civil society's involvement in the Mexican political system. And he has in the works, I don't believe it's come out yet, a book on five major political thinkers of the 20th century, uh, Norberto Bobbio, Carl Schmidt, Michael Oakeshott, Isaiah Berlin, and the Mexican poet and essayist Octavio Paz. So it's my great pleasure once again on behalf of the Center uh, uh, for uh, Latin American Studies and the Mexican Studies Program at the University of Chicago to welcome Jesus Silva Herzog. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm really sorry that I'm very late. There was a confusion with with the way that I was supposed to get here, but I'm I'm finally here, and I'm very glad that you that you are here, uh, also. Um, I I would like to to try to to paint uh, a portrait of of Mexico's recent uh, political developments, uh, and to to try to uh, to understand what's the the nature of. Uh, of Mexico's new political regime, new political system, and the the great problems that we face in Mexico to uh, to make democracy, the, the reality of, of Mexico's democracy, uh, something that is both legitimate and, and effective. Uh, I was um, thinking that I if we are now in, in the year 2004, just Ten years ago, Mexico had a radically different political regime. I, to to uh, understand the, the magnitude of, uh, uh, of Mexico's political change, maybe we could turn back the clock ten years and see the huge differences between uh, our contemporary political structure and what, what was uh, in existence uh, when Ernesto Cedillo was elected. Ernesto Cedillo was elected. He even uh, uh, said in a in a clean election, but a terribly unfair election. We could see on on TV that was there was basically one candidate, one option, and there was there were a couple of invisible parties and invisible invisible uh, alternatives. And now what we we see in Mexico's political landscape is the. Uh, the plurality of uh, many colors in, in the ideological spectrum, uh, the existence of many uh, uh, of, of different parties that rule in different regions of the country, uh, a media that is uh, independent and critical of all uh, political actors. And also I think that if we, we want to, to um, understand uh, Mexico's uh, current policies, politics, 
we may also would like to, to, to stress the difference between uh, the climate in public opinion now and when Vicente Fox was inaugurated uh, four years ago in, in the year 2000, in the, the end of, of the year 2000. Uh, I remember then when uh, a couple of months or a couple of weeks before uh, Fox was inaugurated, there was a, a, a very interesting poll in, uh, in Mexican, in the Mexican newspaper Reforma. And it was um, an aus outstanding uh, uh, portrait of, of, of Mexico's climate because uh, the majority of the Mexican population believed uh, before Fox was elected that Vicente Fox was going to be able to solve all the problems that Mexico faced in the year 2000. Uh, the enthusiasts believed that he was going to be able to solve them immediately uh, and the skeptics believed also that he was going to solve all the problems but he was going to take a little while. It was not going to be an immediate solution. But uh, basically, the majority of, of, uh, of the Mexican population before the inauguration of Vicente Fox believed that uh, Vicente Fox was going to be able to solve not only the economic problem, was going to be able not only to end corruption, but he was going to solve the uh, inequalities in Mexico and he was going to be able to solve the uh, uh, drug trafficking problem in Mexico. There was this idea that um, that the end of the pre-regime was going to be the uh, beginning of this democratic paradise. Uh, what we see now uh, in Mexico, uh, in, in Mexican political climate, is, I believe, uh, an atmosphere of great frustration. Uh, if we take a look also at uh, at polls. Well, we see, for example, that 84% say that Mexico is going in the wrong direction in terms of economic policies, in terms of politics. 77% uh, believe, uh, are, are worried that maybe next year they're going to be unemployed. And 72% believe that Mexico is losing the war against crime and, and, and face this uh, uh, fear of crime in, in the streets. Uh, that comes from a, from a poll from uh, Latino Barometro, this uh, uh, polling service that uh, does this uh, uh, photograph of public opinion throughout Latin America. And it's very interesting because Mexico uh, is shown through these uh, uh, numbers as one of the most pessimistic countries in Latin America. I don't believe that Mexico is, is the country, one of the countries that is in, in the worst condition, both in political and economic terms, but in terms of its feeling, of its opinion about the way the country is heading, Mexico is one of the most pessimistic countries in, in, in the region. I would try to, to, uh, to concentrate on th three areas that might be helpful to, to understand this frustration with uh, an, the new democratic regime in Mexico. And I would say that these three areas of concern are, first of all, the expectations of democracy. Uh, second, it would be the political strategies of the main political actors in, the, in, in uh, Mexico's political arena. And third, the, uh, the role of institutions in the lack of, uh, of results of our democratic uh, uh, landscape. And I would start with the expectations. Uh, it was clearly shown through that uh, poll that I uh, talked about uh, recently, the, the, the poll that was taken before Fox's inauguration, that we were headed uh, to, uh, to, to uh, frustration. When expectations are so high, there is no other way to go than downhill. Um, and I think that this, this uh, great expectation about democracy has to do with uh, um, the way 
democracy was built in Mexico, the, the way that the Mexico transition was uh, uh, constructed. It was a, a very long transition. It, it was not this idea uh, uh, taken from, from Europe, from Spain, or from Eastern Europe, that uh, democratic transitions are these uh, processes in which history accelerates itself and packs in a couple of, of years, maybe several months, great historical changes, the inauguration of new institutions, the, uh, the emergency of a new political class. That is something that did not happen in Mexico. Mexico's political transition was a very slow transition in which there were no uh, um, uh, changes, there, there were no important changes in the structure of political institutions. But it was basically the uh, uh, renovation of that institutions through the changes in the electoral process, basically the electoral rules of the game, and also other changes maybe in the, in the area of the media, in the, ma uh, in the area of uh, unions and civil associations. Uh, but I would say that the common uh, uh, idea of this long uh, transition in Mexico was uh, uh, in the uh, uh, discourse, uh, the, the, the new official rhetoric in Mexico was the idea that democracy was going to be the solution to all our problems. Uh, it was that the idea uh, uh, of for example, the uh, uh, pan-candidate, the idea that with the change in, in, the, uh, in the presidency, with the overthrow of, of the pre-regime uh, and uh, uh, the birth of an authentic democracy, uh, all our problems were going to be solved. Um, this put uh, a shadow in the nature, I believe, of democracy, which is uh, not, uh, which is merely, I would say, a solution to one basic, important, crucial problem, that is the problem of legitimacy. Uh, democracy is the only modern solution to the problem of legitimacy. But for the all the other issues uh, in, uh, in politics, I would say it is more of a problem. It is a problem in the definition, in the construction of decisions in, in a pluralistic uh, structure. And it is also a problem, and it's also a challenge uh, if we are concerned with cohesion, social cohesion. Um, therefore, uh, our democratic birth, I would say, the, the, the emergency of a democracy in Mexico was not accompanied by a reflection on the problematic nature of democracy, the uh, challenging structures of democracy that needed a new type of thought that I believe has not uh, uh, arrived in Mexico. I think there, there is still a very simplistic idea of uh, political uh, uh, decisions in Mexico in which there are um, no real concern about the problems of uh, uh, constructing uh, coalitions to build uh, a government to uh, uh, decide in Congress uh, and to renovate uh, political structures like, for example, uh, political parties. Um, the other issue that I would like to, to, uh, to stress is the, the issue of, of strategy. Uh, if, if we want to, to measure, uh, I remember that when you um, talked about uh, these uh, political thinkers of the 20th century, I, I, I remember uh, one of Isaiah Berlin's thought on political judgment. Uh, Isaiah Berlin wrote a, a piece uh, about the nature of political judgment, and he asks a very simple and very big question. What is, 
what is it to have political judgment in politics? And he answered, well, it's not, it's not to have a theoretical knowledge. It's not to have a, a training in history or in economics or in law. It's basically somehow of a, of a, uh, of a gift, of a smell, to understand the nature of the present, he said. To, to have political judgment is to understand the unique characteristics of the present. Uh, therefore, wh when we uh, talked about, and, and he talks about, for example, political judgment in Churchill, well, he has this historical background that permits him to understand what is the nature, the challenges, the forces, the opportunities, the risks of one political moment, the present. Um, if we put this test to Mexico's political class, I would say that there has no been no political judgment. And I would uh, focus on the president, the, 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 the head of uh, the transition or the aftermath of the transition, the, the, the leadership of Vicente Fox. Um, he has not been able to understand the nature of the present. Um, first of all, because I think he uh, misread the, uh, the meaning of his election. Vicente Fox was uh, uh, elected in a historical election, the first election in which the PRI lost uh, after 71 years of uh, uh, domination, of one-party rule. Uh, he was uh, uh, nevertheless a minority president. He was candidate with less of the 50% uh, of the votes. Nevertheless, he... Uh, understood that his election had somehow the nature of a plebiscite that he won. He viewed himself as a leader of a huge uh, national coalition that uh, gave him the mandate to uh, change the country in the way he uh, um, uh, saw it uh, uh, in his campaign. Uh, that was not the case. Uh, there were more uh, uh, voters that voted against Vicente Fox than the ones that voted for him. Um, but basically, he misread the nature of his powers, the nature of his uh, uh, constitutional and political strength. And he had the idea that his huge popularity when he was inaugurated was going to be uh, enough to force Congress to do whatever he wanted. So he uh, began his presidency with a strategy of uh, what uh, American political scientist says, going public. The idea that uh, uh, gathering political and popular support through the media, through the television, was going to uh, uh, be able to push Congress in the way he wanted Congress to head. Um, he started hi his presidency with both very ambitious and very vague uh, uh, program, uh, government governing program. He started with both uh, uh, highly consensual and highly polarizing agenda and uh, uh, putting uh, uh, together uh, an agenda that was in some ways very conservative and in some types of uh, uh, things and in, in some issues that was close to being revolutionary. For example, he uh, uh, asked in the, in, in the first months of his government, he asked for uh, almost a constitutional uh, uh, revision, a, a, a general reform of the Constitution because he said this is a Constitution that no longer works for us. Um, this, this was, uh, I would say, a, a, a flawed strategy um, 
considering he had a very weak base, very weak political uh, base in Congress, and he was forced to work with Congress. He was unable to uh, construct a strong coalition with, first of all, his own party, and he was unable to construct a, 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 a fruitful dialogue with the Congress. Uh, if we uh, look back to, to Vicente Fox's uh, presidency, uh, uh, now heading to the third, uh, the, 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 uh, the last part of his presidency, we would say that it has been a very a clearly ineffective government, a clearly ineffective presidency. And if we consider his priorities, uh, it has been unable to deliver in any of his priorities. I would uh, underline four, uh, if I w was able to, to underline four priorities of uh, Fox's government, I would say that in those, in the, in, in the four of them, he has been defeated. Uh, which one are, are, are those uh, priorities? Well, he had first this ambition, uh, the idea that he was going to be able to put together a peace accord with the Zapatista guerrilla in Chiapas. And basically what he wanted to do is to pass a constitutional reform, the, the constitutional reform that was uh, 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 supported, that was uh, uh, that had the support of the Zapatistas, and uh, Congress, uh, basically through uh, uh, the rejection of his own party, the PAN, uh, rejected that uh, uh, presidential proposal. He had also the, the, the idea of organizing uh, a fiscal reform that was also defeated in Congress. He talked uh, uh, enthusiastically through, through the months that the, the greatest uh, investment plan of the decade was going to be uh, an airport that was going to, to be a huge investment, a public investment. That also was defeated uh, uh, with, with another uh, scandal. And he had, after that, the idea that he was going to put together an energy reform. If, uh, uh, if we consider not what we believe that is important to the country, but what he stressed as the priorities of his government, I would say that from four priorities, he has been uh, uh, defeated in all of them. Uh, of course, it's not uh, only the problem of, of, uh, of a bad political stra strategy, of uh, uh, bad leadership, but I would say also the problem with uh, badly designed and badly functioning institutions. Um, Mexico, as I said before, did not have this uh, uh, constitutional assembly uh, after the uh, birth of, the of, of uh, Mexico's uh, democracy. Uh, Mexico's uh, uh, institutional imagination was basically uh, concentrated in the uh, electoral uh, arena, and maybe the only uh, uh, new uh, creature of, of, of our institutional framework is the, the, uh, the electoral board in, in, in Mexico. But there has not been a, a, a general uh, revision of our constitutional structure in the structure of the presidency, the Congress, uh, uh, political parties, etc. And uh, maybe one of the of the flaws that that we uh, have uh, nowadays is that um, for the first time in many decades in Mexico we have a, a functioning and a powerful Congress in Mexico. Um, if, um, if there is this uh, idea that Mexico had this hegemonic uh, a party, uh, as uh, uh, the Italian political scientist uh, Giovanni Sartori called the Mexican party structure, hegemonic in terms that we have had several parties, 
but there was only one that had real chances of governing. Uh, 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 a political, a party structure in which there were, uh, uh, to, s to put it in Orwellian, Orwellian uh, terms, uh, uh, parties that were equal, but there was one that was more equal than the others. Um, uh, there were several parties, but none of them except the PRI had the real uh, alternative to uh, govern. That was also the case with, um, with the constitutional structure in terms of the presidency. There, were, there, there was a, a, a liberal constitution in place uh, uh, from the constitution of 1917, but there was an hegemonic presidency in that uh, sense. Uh, the presidency uh, had the power of uh, controlling Congress, controlling the judiciary, controlling uh, the federal structure through the governors, uh, etc. Um, democratization has meant in, in Mexico that the uh, uh, institutions that were somehow asleep uh, in, in the authoritarian structure awoke in, in this new uh, atmosphere. And one of the most important institutions that have awakened in the re in recent times is obviously the uh, Mexican Congress. Uh, and what we have in, in, in Congress nowadays is a, is a powerful Congress, but a Congress that has not the uh, necessary structures to, uh, um, to transform itself as a governing as a functioning Congress. I would uh, highlight, uh, um, I think, the, 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 the greatest flaw that Mexican legislature has, uh, that is the impossibility of a professional legislature. Uh, the impossibility, the constitutional prohibition of uh, uh, professionalism in Congress through the prohibition of re-election in, in Mexican Congress. That anomaly, the idea that uh, uh, congressmen, representatives, senators can, uh, uh, are not allowed to, uh, uh, to re-elect themselves or to go to, to their constituents, uh, constituency uh, to get their support after they've uh, been in Congress uh, uh, for a a period of time uh, is something that uh, makes it impossible to uh, to have a professional Congress in Mexico, and that is is a, a very uh, important weakness of Mexican democracy in in, in many uh, aspects uh, of our democratic life. It. it um, um, it uh, um, gets away from the citizen, from th from the citizens, the, the right to punish uh, our representatives. It uh, prohibits the professionalization of, of Congress, and it also um, creates a time frame, uh, 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 time framework, in which uh, uh, decisions are. Uh, just decided in the immediate future. And there's the impossibility for the political uh, uh, leadership in, in, the, in Congress to create uh, uh, long-lasting coalitions, to, to create uh, 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 an atmosphere of trust in Congress, because uh, in, in the case of the, the uh, House of Representatives, the, the uh, Cámara de Diputados in Mexico, uh, the, um, the period of time that uh, representatives are, uh, are in, in the House is just three years. In the time when they are beginning to learn the, uh, uh, the complexities of, of uh, writing law, uh, they have uh, to go elsewhere to find uh, a job. So um, if Congress is this uh, protagonist of, of Mexico's uh, political life, 
there is no uh, uh, institutional structure to help Congress to deliver what is expected of, of it. And then we, uh, I would stress just another uh, uh, element in, in our uh, institutional uh, framework, that is the, um, our party regime. Uh, I think Mexico's uh, political transition was constructed basically with the idea that institutions rule the rules of, 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 uh, of the game, the rules of competition, would have to help uh, uh, the political parties to, uh, to consolidate as uh, uh, alternatives, electoral alternatives. Uh, therefore, there was uh, uh, the opening of uh, the spaces of, of representation through uh, Congress, through the Senate, through the House of Representatives, in which the idea was to open the doors to the, the uh, different opposition alternatives in Mexico. There was also the idea that to construct uh, a political pluralism in Mexico meant to, um, to help financially those political alternatives and to uh, uh, build a, uh, a public financing of the political parties. And after that was constructed, after that uh, uh, spa uh, those spaces of representation were uh, uh, opened to uh, contestation, after uh, uh, public money went to the uh, political parties, the doors of competition closed. So what we have nowadays in Mexico, I would say, is a, um, a structure in which we have a, a, gar a guarded, uh, somehow of a political structure that is behind huge walls uh, in which they can uh, uh, feel the three main parties that are pretty safe from any type of menace. There are no real challenges to the, for the domination of the three main political parties in Mexico. Um, so the, the one of the most important attributes of, of a democratic regime that it's the ability of the uh, of, uh, of uh, the electorate to punish uh, uh, political parties to punish politicians is terribly flawed in Mexico's uh, uh, institutional structure because uh, the three main parties are not in fear basically of anything. Uh, they may lose a position in terms of the executive branch, in terms of a governorship, but they uh, have the uh, confidence, the, 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 the confidence that they won't lose the public financing and they won't lose the huge uh, place in uh, uh, the representation places in, 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 in Mexico's institutions. Um, so it, it has become through uh, and uh, uh, paradoxically, paradoxically, uh, because of the nature of of, uh, of our transition, uh, our political class has become a, a a class that is extremely insensitive insensitive to the demands of the population and to the ma the demands of the population uh, to the political class to deliver what it promises. Um, what I would uh, uh, say to, uh, 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 to begin the, the, the period of, of discussion or, or, or conversation uh, about these issues is that we, we are facing, I think, in, in Mexico, um, the, the danger of, of a democracy that has not been able to legitimize itself and that it's beginning to, um, to be threatened by other, uh, by non-democratic al alternatives. 
Um, I think Mexico, uh, as other Latin American countries, face the, the, uh, the future with, uh, with weak democracies, democracies that um, are uh, a great political success in, in many regards, uh, but uh, have not been able to deliver, have not been able to, um, uh, to place themselves as governing structures, as uh, uh, structures in which pluralism is able to deliver, that it's able to solve problems. Um, and even uh, uh, the, the uh, the great ad, uh, uh, advances that Mexico has had in, in political terms in, the, in, the rec in our recent history are somehow uh, uh, challenged uh, uh, nowadays. Um, because even if the, uh, the electoral arena was the source of, of, uh, of pride of Mexican, Mexico's politics, the, uh, uh, the change uh, in Mexico's landscape because if 10 years ago elections were uh, a source of uh, terrible conflict and after, after the elections uh, were celebrated, uh, uh, there were huge conflicts and uh, huge protests, uh, I think that is becoming uh, the danger again for, for Mexico's future. Uh, Mexico's recent elections in, in different uh, regions of the country, in the state of Veracruz, in the state of Oaxaca, have uh, become uh, uh, contested not only before the election but after the election. There have uh, been again the claims of fraud in, in elections and we are facing a, a, a national election, a presidential election, that uh, might be a very difficult election and a, a, and a, a very um, challenging election for uh, Mexico's uh, institutions. Uh, for the first time, I would say, in, in our history, we are uh, facing a, a three-way uh, competition in, in the next uh, presidential election in which there is not only a, a two-way uh, race, between uh, two parties, but uh, for the first time, I stress, yeah, I underline this, for the first time, we are going to have a, a, a three-party race uh, in, in which um, there is uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the questioning of the uh, electoral institution, again, as it happened uh, several years before, in which the, the one of the main political uh, uh, parties, the PRD, uh, has said that the new electoral board is not uh, tr trustworthy, uh, and uh, in a climate of deep uh, uh, polarization and political polarization in which uh, uh, there is almost no real understanding between the different uh, uh, political alternatives. Um, therefore, I, I would uh, leave uh, uh, the talk with, uh, um, with, the, the, with the concern that Mexico's great political uh, progress in recent history is uh, under threat. Uh, I would say because of two main reasons. The first of all, it's because of the inability of the democratic structures to deliver, to perform, to, um, to define itself as a governing democracy. And uh, the other threat would be uh, because of the strength of the anti-institutional uh, forces that have gained strength in Mexico in recent history. Uh, the, the, um, the idea that uh, institutions, uh, legal institutions, electoral institutions are not really uh, democratic institutions and therefore that there are other ways to 
uh, uh, advance the political agenda of the uh, different uh, political forces in Mexico. Um, Mexico's democracy uh, uh, has, uh, Mexico has uh, arrived to the democratic territory, but I would say that uh, that uh, area is, uh, it's not a guaranteed, it's not guaranteed for the, for the near future. I think that there are important uh, threats to, to Mexico's political democracy nowadays in, in, uh, in Mexico. So I don't know if I think there is. As I said before, as a convenience, because we're recording the session, I'll repeat the questions that are being asked, and I'll abbreviate them radically as I repeat them, but of course, listeners uh, can, can understand them and will respond to the full question. Um, well, if there aren't any hands raised, I'll, I'll ask a question, but I see some hands uh, raised. In the back. This is gonna be very complicated if you I will boil it down to ten words. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. But because I, I wanted to make uh, three actually uh, comments in regard of the Could, could you please uh, just uh, ask one. a question? One. Yeah. Uh, on professional, on the professional legislature, it is my experience, and you can take a look at it. Maybe you have it. But every politician in Mexico has been in the Chamber of Deputies, in the Senate, as governor, as uh, alcalde or major in a major city, as local uh, uh, diputado, as uh, senator here, senator there. We do have professional politicians. I don't think re-election is in any way the answer Can you to, to the lack of- uh, Phrase it as a question, please. Congress, so uh, uh, elaboration on that. Second, um, I think this is not going to be the first time that Mexico has a three-way contest. 1988, it was Salinas, Cárdenas, and If Cárdenas had not been running, Maquillo would have won the election and the other way around too. If Maquillo had not been running, uh, Cardenas would have won uh, win the election. I think so. That was a real three-way election, so elaboration on that. Third and last, they are not afraid of anything. I think they are. Uh, and that's the issue we've been you know, fighting for, for I don't know how many years already, the vote of Mexicans from abroad. We are about 20% of the possible electorate they don't have any kind of control over this 20% of the possible vote. They give us the right to vote. They don't even know who we are going to vote for. That would make them lose or lose seats in both chambers in Congress. You know, we are the wild card. And that's why they don't give us the vote from abroad so far, because they are afraid of what might we are a segment of the society outside of the control of the three main political parties. Completely outside, completely uncontrolled. Well, if I can boil that down to a question. Um, is there indeed a professional career for Mexican politicians, even if there are term limits that don't allow them to be reelected within the Congress? Well, I, I think that's, um, there's, there's reason uh, for that. There, there's. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, the um, a revolving door that goes from from the Senate to the Chamber of Deputies and to the local Congress. I, I think that's that that happens uh, fairly frequently. It's not. It's. Uh, I don't have the percentages right now about what, how, what's the percentage of the the, the members of uh, the Chamber of Deputies that have. 
been in another legislative uh, uh, position, it's not that high. But even if, 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 if that uh, happens, it's, uh, it's not a prof uh, if they have experience, it is not a professional structure because they are not allowed to accumulate their experience in, say, the Senate, to accumulate the, the experience as a member of uh, a committee and to build uh, uh, the knowledge that they need to be professional legislators. Um, I think that's, that's a, a huge problem because if, there, uh, if, if one uh, local congressman goes after that to be a federal congressman, he might not be in the same committee, he is not with the same uh, um, people and there is not this professionalization of the congressman in Mexico. There's, there might be in, in um, basically the leaders of the party, the leaders of some committees, some experience, but it's not the uh, basic structure of Mexican Congress. The House of Representatives has 500 members. It is not the majority of them that has a uh, 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 an experience as a legislator. Uh, then there was the, the question of, uh, of 1988 and the three-way rate. Uh, I think you, you have uh, a point there. Uh, the, the domination of, uh, of the PRI was based in the last phase of, of the regime uh, on the uh, division of the, the oppositions, that there was not only one opposition. But I would say that in 1988, the race was basically the race between Salinas and Cuauhtémoc Cárdenas. And after that, it was the, the race between Sevillo and Diego Fernández de Ceballos. First, the, the, the race between the PRI and the left, and then the race between the PRI and the right. But it, not, it was not, uh, uh, Cuauhtémoc Cárdenas in 1994 was very far behind uh, 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 the PAN. And also uh, uh, Maquillo uh, fall, fell out of, uh, from, from the race when the uh, uh, Cardenismo, when, the, when, La, when Cuauhtémoc Cárdenas became the, the opposition leader. Um, that's why I think we are facing a, a race in, in, in the year two s 2006 in which the, the race is going to be who gets the biggest third of the electorate. Uh, it's not going to be who gets the majority, of course. It's not going to be, I would say, who gets the 40%, but it, who gets the highest 30% of the vote. Very quick question. Just one. <laughs> uh, you label, my name is Rafael Serrano, a TV producer here in Chicago. You label a lot of problems that we already know what Mexico has. There, there was a checklist. My question is what the Mexican government or the Mexican society needs to do to change that disconnection between the political parties versus the people. They're disconnected, they're disenchanted, and <coughs> seems to be all the parties are embattled, embracing each other, facing, literally killing each other political, you know, mm -hmm. but disconnected with the, with the society. So to, re to repeat the question, the question is uh, what could the, what, what, what must be done by the government or, or by civil society to improve the connection between the Mexican political parties and the electorate of the Mexican people? That's a, a very difficult question. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, so important that I really don't think I have a, a, a real answer. Um, I, I think the, the, the connection is, is, I would say, the, the, the traditional connection, the, the traditional connection in terms of democratic structure. Uh, 
to, to rebuild or to construct that link between uh, the political class and uh, society, Mexican society, I think uh, the ability of the citizens to uh, punish politicians is crucial. And I think we have a very weak power of punishment in Mexico. Um, I would therefore stress the importance of re-election. I do believe that re-election is crucial. Uh, because if you don't have the ability to punish your, your representative, uh, the representative can't do anything he wants to do with, with your vote. Uh, there's, there's no, th this, the, the idea of, of, uh, of, uh, of the, the electoral contract in which I lend you my voice for a while, but then you have to tell me what you did with my voice, and then I can tell you if I liked it or not. That very uh, elemental, uh, simple idea is, is, uh, is uh, that bridge is, is broken in Mexico's political structure. Uh, I would say that something like that would help. Uh, obviously, it would, it would not solve the, the, the distance between uh, society and politics because it, it's never solved anywhere and there's no democratic structure in which that uh, uh, distance is, uh, uh, has disappeared. But there are policies that are closer and that are, uh, f um, farther away. That means we're always gonna have the same problem because we're disconnected. And that is gonna cause, I think it's the root of the every problem politically economically, in every aspect of society of Mexico. So, I mean, they don't want to change because the political regime, they don't want to change. That is the root of the problem. So we need to, as a society, as a citizens of Mexico, with now with a new reality of free trade, free, for me, it's free and political, economically, socially. You cannot mean free and trade only and political would be independent or, or isolated. Mm -hmm. That's a major problem with Mexico. They have to be connected, all of them, in order to be equal. Otherwise, we're gonna be not equal at all. That's my concern, thank you. So just to summarize that comment, uh, perhaps a, uh, more freedoms. So uh, another question back here, Carmen? just interested in what you're studying in the changing role of civil society's involvement in um, government. And I was wondering if you felt like the heavy immigration between U.S. and Mexico was a large factor in that, and if so, if you felt like exposure or immigrant experience helped create like a stronger sense of like voting identity or if it weakened So I think the question is whether the uh, migratory flows between Mexico, the United States, and Mexico strength in civil society may have uh, helped to bring about the transition, have changed Mexican politics? I, I think uh, um, Mexico has not uh, recognized, uh, and may maybe that has to do with, with the question of, that I didn't answer about the, the, uh, the political class being afraid of, of uh, uh, Mexican-Americans or Mexicans in the United States, I think Mexico has not realized that the nature of Mexico, the nature of, of, of the nation, if I could use the word, has radically changed in terms of becoming a transnational entity. Uh, I think we are still uh, under the idea that uh, the borders of, uh, of, of the country trap the identity and the society of, of the nation. And I think that is not, uh, that's no longer the case. Um, and I think we cannot uh, uh, talk about Mexico's uh, society without talking about what is the relationship with uh, uh, the Mexicans that go to or come to the United States and the relationship between 
the families that come and stay in the in in Mexico. Um, I'm not sure about what's the, what's what uh, that is saying about about the change, but I think that that's uh, a huge factor in 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 Mexico's. Uh, Mexico's uh, uh, um, politics and economics and culture and society. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's an answer. In the back? Um, my question is um, a little bit connected to this. With so many men coming over into the United States and they're in a lack of absentee ballots, um, how is this affecting the women's political position in Mexico? I mean, are, are they having a stronger voice now that that a lot of the men are, are leaving, or? So I, the I, question is, do women have a stronger voice in politics as there are a larger proportion of the electorate in regions where many men have emigrated? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I would say that uh, that would have to, to do with regional politics. I'm not uh, uh, an expert on that. Uh, I wouldn't say that that, that has uh, an impact in national politics, for example, in which I would say that the, that the um, that it has been a very slow change in Mexico the way uh, women have uh, uh, been incorporated in, in political uh, in leadership positions in, in Mexico's national politics. It's been, has been very slow. Thanks. Let me take two or three more questions and take the questions all at once, and then perhaps we can enter these in quick. Yeah, um, what what uh, would you say, Jesus, to, to those uh, who oppose the uh, re-election of uh, congressmen with, I believe, uh, valid uh, reasons, like, I don't know, Fernando Escalante, who argues that uh, we came from uh, and taking the... Uh, going back to the 19th century and early 20th century, we come from a very uh, uh, strong tradition of, of uh, jefes politicos, caciques, right? And um, the risk of sort of going back into that. And my other, uh, my second question is rather a provocation. Will you be uh, reading uh, Leo Strauss on tyranny if uh, Lopez Obrador gets elected in 2006? <laughs> <laughs> if he stops feeding his wife. Um, uh, let, me th let me take two more questions quickly and... Uh, um, the, the economic impact of, of the migrant population to Mexico, the Mexican migrant population to Mexico is undeniable, but what would be your personal forecast of the upcoming impact that this population will have in terms of politics if or when they are allowed into the electorate and the absentee ballot? What would be your forecast for this? Can, can you repeat the, 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 the impact of, of Mexican-American? The, the impact of Mexican-Americans and Mexicans living abroad in the future of Mexican politics and the, the, the electoral arena will change. How do you forecast these changes taking place? And so it's a question to forecast the impact of uh, vote in the United States. And one more question. In, in, in Mexico. Yeah. In Mexico. You mentioned um, that one of the threats to democratic stability is these anti-institution groups, but you weren't very specific about that. So I'm wondering, are you talking about the Zapatistas or the indigenous insurgents? And isn't that a, maybe a healthy sign um, in, a, in a climate where institutions are obviously not delivering to the population? Um, would you like me to repeat those questions, or re could you repeat them as you I think respond? I think I, I have them written, written down. down? Yeah, I if, you, if, you, if you just state them so that the microphone can capture them. Well, the, the, the first question was uh, about, um, uh, about the criticisms of, uh, to re-election. Uh, I think that's a, uh, that's a fair uh, concern that uh, re-election might uh, recreate these political bosses and regional bosses in Mexico. Uh, uh, I think there are two, two reasonable uh, uh, concerns about re-election. One of those is, is that one, 
the second one would be the, um, the, the impact it would have in political parties that would be clearly more uh, uh, less disciplined parties and, and maybe that would uh, make it more difficult to, to create uh, governing coalitions in Congress. I would say both of them uh, might have some truth to them, but I would say that the advantages of re-elections are higher than their disadvantages. I would say, first of all, with, with, with the idea of, of um, the new caciquismo through, through re-election, I would say that, that uh, uh, the regions in Mexican politics where there is no real competition are fairly small. Uh, Mexico has become a competitive arena uh, not only in, in, uh, in the big cities, not only in the northern states. It has become a uh, 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 competitive arena in, in basically most of the territory. Even in, in, uh, in Oaxaca, for example, where there were uh, uh, elections recently. Um, the, the election was uh, uh, fairly close between the opposition, the, the, the opposition coalition and the PRI, uh, but it was a fairly competitive uh, uh, election throughout the state. I think that was very important. That was, uh, from my perspective, one of the concerns that some places were going to vote 110% uh, for the PRI, and that was not the case. So that shows, I believe, that competition is, uh, um, uh, has, uh, has roots nowadays in, in, in Mexico's uh, politics. Um, on tyranny, I, I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> going to, I don't like how he writes, so I, I, I think I wouldn't read that. Um, I would have to, to, to think what, what should we read with, with Lopez Obrador as president. No. Uh, definitely not his, uh, his books. Uh, then the, the, um, the, the second question was the, the, the impact of, uh, of, of Mexican-Americans in, in Mexico's politics, right? Um, I, I would say that that's uh, increasingly a factor in Mexican politics. It's not something that will arrive in the, in the far future, but I think that it's something that has, uh, has arrived to Mexican politics. Uh, uh, Mexican-Americans that go back to Mexico become candidates and are pretty successful as, uh, as uh, uh, majors or, or, or municipal presidents or, or, or uh, in the counties in, in, in Mexican uh, states. Um, and I would say, I, I'm not uh, sure how, how could I put this, but, but it's clear that, um, uh, that Mexica, Mexico's uh, politicians would have to uh, uh, look to the Mexican-American uh, counterparts or the uh, for campaigning uh, uh, in the near future. I think that, uh, for example, the way that uh, Mexican politicians tour the United States, uh, not to speak with, uh, 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 with investors only or to bankers only or to diplomats, but to speak with uh, uh, their constituents in, uh, in, in, in Chicago, in California, that shows, I believe, that uh, um, Mexico's political future uh, will be fought in the United States uh, very strongly. No? Um, and then the anti-institutional uh, question. Um, I, I don't think that's a good sign. Uh, I think uh, it's... Uh, um, I think it's 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 important to have an extra institutional uh, extra institutional politics. I think it's uh, healthy to have uh, 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 society uh, uh, get involved in uh, politics 
without getting into political parties or without getting into the electoral process. What I think it's, it's, it's troubling is, is when, when that becomes anti-institutional. And, and what I'm, I have in mind is concretely, you, you were, you're right, I was very vague and I didn't uh, put names in, in that uh, uh, word. I think it's, it's troubling when, when uh, 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 for example, uh, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has a, a, uh, a stand against uh, democratic institutions that he uh, says, for example, that the, uh, the judicial decisions might not be, uh, could not be uh, accepted or, um, how, how should I say that, not to, to comply, to comply with judicial uh, decisions because they might be unfair. Uh, or to organize uh, uh, um, uh, a rebellion against uh, Congress and to uh, 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 cancel the deliberations in Mexican Congress, for example. I think those are very bad signs for a democratic structure as weak as Mexico's democratic structure. Uh, because I think that there is still the idea that there are other sources of legitimacy besides uh, uh, elections and besides rules. Uh, I don't think that's a good sign. I, I don't know. No. Let's stop the formal discussion now, and I invite you all to the reception and to continue to ask questions and to continue this dialogue standing up. But uh, first, an applause for our speaker with great thanks.